Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. I'll tell you why there's hope. Yes, the Wolves are down 1-0. They were blown up by 29 on Sunday in game one against the Nuggets, but there is still hope in this Wolves-Nuggets series. Let's talk about it on the show today. Welcome in. You're Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves. Today's show is brought to us by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We are just a day away from game two of the first round matchup between the Wolves and Nuggets. We're going to break down uh, kind of in between what happened still Sunday. And based on that information, uh, why is there hope in this series slash what do the Wolves need to do immediately to get back into this series? Um, and, you know, even things up going back to Minneapolis. First of all, though, a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Lockdown Wolves is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch the show on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, CK. Yet. All right. So, yes, the deficit's only 1 0. And, you know, there's that, like, there's plenty of examples. I mean, like last year, the Wolves won game one against Memphis, right? And then they lost the series in six games. Like, they, like, there's clearly anything can still happen in this series. However, you really can't go down 0 2 um, when you're already seeding the home court advantage or the eight seed playing the one. You know, it's imperative that the Wolves are competitive and, and, and win the game, frankly, on Wednesday. Um, but I want to talk broadly, more broadly about this matchup. We didn't do a full series preview because of the nature of the play-in over the weekend and, and getting into the series. So a little bit more broadly about the Nuggets as a team and the Wolves-Nuggets matchups in the regular season, why I believe that there's hope in this matchup for the Wolves. I'll talk about my biggest concern as well. And then I think probably more on Wednesday show, we'll talk a little bit more about potential adjustments specific to Wednesday night. What can the Wolves do to counter what Denver showed on Sunday and um, what what the Wolves need to correct, frankly, after Sunday's debacle. Um, so let's start by taking like a mini step backwards and look at the matchup as a whole, look at Denver as a team, what they did in the regular season, how they profile as a team. Um, Denver finished the season middle of the pack defensively. They were really bad early in the season and improved as the season went on. They were a top five offense by pretty much any measure. Um, and that probably is not surprising. It should not be surprising with a back-to-back MVP award winner, somebody who's going to be a finalist or isn't a finalist for the award this year as well in Nikola Jokic. Um, that should not be a surprise. I didn't think they had a great offseason myself. Um they ended up getting the number one seed, and yes, they only won, what, 53 games, which is a low number for a number one seed in most seasons. Uh, they, you know, Jokic still missed, what? how many games did he miss? He missed 13 games this year. Jamal Murray played 65 games, so he missed 17 games. Um, they, they did enough work on the fringes that they were able to kind of backfill some of those minutes. The Bruce Brown acquisition was great. That's somebody, he's somebody I wanted the Wolves to get in the offseason. Um, he was big for the Nuggets on Sunday in game one. Um, and then Aaron Gordon's continued to just kind of look more and more comfortable in his role in Denver. 
I also like the KCP acquisition. You know, I, they had some other moves that, like, I've never been the biggest Jeff Green fan. Uh, they ended up trading Bones Highland. Christian Brown was better as a rookie than I expected. Uh, Zeke Naji saw his role take a step back for them. Of course, the Minnesota native Zeke Naji. Um, they they did give some younger guys some run through some of the injuries mid late season, and it was enough for them to still get the number one seed. Um, their offensive profile overall. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like they're a top five offense, but they're 20th in free throw rate and they're 21st in three point rate. They don't shoot a ton of threes. They don't get to the line a bunch, um, but they make their threes. They're fourth in percentage league wide this season in the regular regular season, basically 38%. Um, they don't take a lot, but when they take them, they make them. And that's a lot of that's a function of Nikola Jokic uh, essentially facilitating from the middle of the floor so often. Um, he's finding open shooters around him or he's simply scoring himself. And you know how the percentage of points that Jokic is accounting for either he's scoring or assisting on he averaged 24 and a half points and nearly 10 assists a game 9.8 assists per game and that's just him picking off um you know shooters around the perimeter and just distributing um KCP shot 42% for them in a starting role um Aaron Gordon was kind of in line with his career numbers around 35%. Jamal Murray was just a shade under 40%. Michael Porter Jr. was 41% from three this season. Uh, But again, it was more about the quality of those shots than it was the quantity of the three-point shots. And we saw that on Sunday. We saw that on Sunday. The Timberwolves could not hit the broadside of a barn from the field at all on Sunday. And Denver picked their spots. They were cold early from the field. The Wolves did a pretty good job to start the game defensively. But as the game wore on, Denver just their shots became more and more open as the Wolves got fatigued. Their defense broke down. Denver actually shot 39 threes in that game. And again, they don't shoot that many typically. Like it on average in the regular season, Denver only shoots 31 threes per game, which again is 21st in terms of rate. It's actually 25th in terms of per game league wide, 31 per game. They shot 30. What did I say? They shot 39 threes in Sunday's game. And again, only shot 31 per game during the regular season, but they made 41%, which is right in line with what they did all season, 38% from three all season. So um, again, picking their spots, making their threes when they get the opportunity. And on the flip side, I mean, we saw what happened to the Wolves, but the Wolves on Sunday attempted 36 threes and only made 30% of their three-point attempts. Only shot 37% from the floor overall. But um, at any rate, that's Denver's profile. Like they can play fast, they're very comfortable playing fast um, if if they want to, but but they don't need to, right? Jokic kind of plays at his own pace. He's the prototypical play at your own pace guy, right? And he's such a good passer, and he can do that in in transition, kind of as a trailer down the floor is when he's so dangerous. Oftentimes, leading that secondary break leading into half court offense, or putting him anywhere else on the floor and finding Jamal Murray, finding Michael Porter Jr., finding Aaron Gordon, um, and then. Another thing that we'll talk about later is how well Denver's role players played on Sunday. Bruce Brown and KCP in particular as cutters, as spot-up shooters in transition, attacking the basket, things we did not see the Wolves role players do. And Denver relies on Jokic to to be the engine that drives the car. And then Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon kind of play off, or really Michael Porter Jr., I guess, play off of that um, as secondary scorers for this team. In the regular season, though, the Timberwolves and Nuggets actually split four games. But when you dig a little bit further, there's the one game where the Nuggets didn't bring, I think they brought one starter. I think it was maybe Michael Porter Jr. They basically did not bring their starters to Minnesota because they had a road, they had a, a home back-to-back or home road back-to-back 
with late travel. I think it was like a national game or the, maybe it was one of the games where there was an issue at the rim in Denver. So it got delayed. The Nuggets didn't get to Minneapolis till like 4 a.m. The Wolves were sitting there waiting. Minnesota won that game because Denver did not bring their whole team. Um, but the other win that the Wolves had was against a mostly full strength Denver team. Uh, so I want to dig into what happened in that game a little bit. Um, and basically what the Wolves found success in doing that time around against Denver. And also Denver was actually healthier than Minnesota in that game. Um, and I don't like, I, I bring this up because I think it kind of helps cancel out all of the, eh, well, they beat a shorthanded Denver team that other time. Well, Denver beat a pretty shorthanded Timberwolves team. Um, you know, the, in, in the other game that the Wolves won this season. And there was also one of the games in Denver was very close. It was like a four point loss for Minnesota. So, Yes, there were some things that made those matchups a little bit more advantageous for Minnesota in the regular season. But for the most part, Minnesota was still competitive with Denver. There's no reason they can't be competitive again moving forward in the series. So I want to dig into that regular season matchup here next. Um, and then we'll go a bit further into uh, a concern, some concerns I have and then look at some adjustments moving forward in the series. So we're going to do all that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends over at Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game time is the fast and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I'll tell you what, it used to be really difficult if you wanted to get last minute tickets, uh, but now it's not. Game time is your, I mean, seriously, if you're looking at going to, uh, I don't know, a playoff game, an NBA playoff game, an NHL playoff game, whatever it might be, or the start of baseball season, game time is the best place to go. They have flash deals, last minute tickets. It's the easiest way to find and buy tickets for every kind of event. In your area, forget planning months in advance. Game time is deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. The tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag your tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thanks again for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, every day or tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll preview the Game 2 matchup and talk about some specific adjustments that I think the Timberwolves can and should and hopefully will make to, uh, to, to steal game two heading back to Minneapolis on Friday. All right. So rewinding a little bit to that Minnesota win over Denver back on January 2nd, uh, setting the stage earlier in the season, um, or I guess this was the first game the Wolves played against Denver. So it was a little bit later in the season. The Wolves played that game where uh, Denver brought the shorthanded team to Minneapolis. It was like a Sunday game after a Saturday night game in Denver. But this this particular matchup, the one that the Wolves won, was the first time the two teams played. It was January 2nd. Denver had just come off a big win in Boston the day before. So Denver was on a back-to-back, a home road back-to-back. Minnesota, though, was extremely shorthanded in this game. Of course, no Carl Anthony Towns. This was the middle of, of the 52 games he missed. There was no D'Angelo Russell. I believe he was sick for this game. Um, and basically no bench, at least the bench as we know it today. Nas Reed was out with back spasms. Um, Kyle Anderson had to start Jalen Noel started in this game. So the Timberwolves starting lineup from this win over the Nuggets was Anthony Edwards, Jalen Noel in the backcourt, Jaden McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, and Rudy Gobert in the front court. The bench, get ready for this, four guys who aren't currently in the rotation, Matt Ryan, Nate Knight, 
Luca Garza, and Austin Rivers. That was the bench in the Timberwolves' 13-point win over Denver on January 2nd. Denver had essentially their full complement of players. Their starting lineup was the same starting lineup we saw the other night. Murray, Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. Yes, they were on a back-to-back. But I should also point out, this was the only game they lost in a 13-game stretch. The, the Nuggets won 12 out of 13. They had won two in a row coming to Minnesota. They lost to the Wolves on January 2nd. And then they reeled off, I believe, 10 straight or nine straight consecutive wins after that. So yeah, so they won 11 out of 12. This was the only loss during that stretch by the Nuggets. So yes, the Wolves had the rest advantage. But the Nuggets had... A full complement of players were in the middle of a hot stretch in their schedule. The Wolves played a bench of four guys who aren't in the rotation currently. They were also missing Nas Reed. They were missing D'Angelo Russell. They were missing Carl Anthony Towns. Um, they were missing Jordan McLaughlin. Like This was not the same Timberwolves team we'll see on Wednesday. So what happened in this game? Well, it was a close game. The Wolves were up at halftime by six. Uh, it, it remained kind of a one possession game until the Wolves kind of pulled away towards the end of the fourth quarter. Um, Minnesota was led. Anthony Edwards had a really good game. He generally has played well against the Nuggets. Um, you know, Tuesday or Sunday, excuse me, it was more of a mixed bag, I think, in terms of his performance. In this game, though, he had 29 and 10, 10 rebounds, five assists for Ant. He was 10 of 24 shooting. Um, he was seven of 12 on two point attempts, only three of 11 on threes. He got to the line six times. The Wolves also had an incredible game from Jade McDaniels. He had 21 points on nine of 10 shooting, four rebounds, four assists. And this was kind of the, the, the peak Jade McDaniels game. We had a handful of these this year where it looked like he was truly becoming a star, a, a two way player at times, efficient with his shot selection and shot making ability. Um, Unfortunately, we won't have Jade McDaniels at all in the series. We also saw a really great Kyle Anderson performance. 19, eight assists, four rebounds, three steals. Jalen Noel played really well. He started, scored 17 points on 50% shooting. Rudy Gobert had a quiet game, though. Eight points, four rebounds, was in foul trouble, only played 27 minutes in this game. Jokic, on the flip side, had 24 points, nine assists, seven rebounds, but he also turned it over five times. So one of the keys in this game for Minnesota, Minnesota only turned it over 11 times for the game which, as we've talked about plenty on this show, the Wolves finished the season 28th in turnover rate league-wide. They turn it over a bunch. They actually only turned it over 11 times on Sunday, but they just missed a ton of shots. But they turned it over 11 times in this matchup earlier this season against Denver. Denver turned it over 14 times. And Denver has been a top-five offense league-wide. They don't like turnovers haven't really been a major issue for them. Um, they still finished bottom 10 in turnover rate, but it's, it's more... Um, like Jokic turns the ball over a lot, but it just it just doesn't seem to hurt them as much because because of all the incredible passes he does make, which I know doesn't doesn't really make sense, but it just feels like the Wolves' twenty eighth ranked turnover rate is so much more indicative of how they play than the Nuggets' twenty four percent turnover rate. And I guess technically that is possible because how many more easy buckets is Jokic getting his teammates? You can live with some of those turnovers, even though a turnover is a turnover is a turnover. Um, if, if you have a bad turnover and then four open shots because you're making these incredible passes, that's that's better than, you know, a bad turnover and then a bunch of mediocre shots, right? Which, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, it, I think it makes sense in my head, right? That Denver can, can live with their turnover rate because they're such a good passing team and their offense runs so efficiently. The Wolves, because they play so much isolation, uh, they devolve into just kind of pick and roll because we don't know what else to do. The transition offense hasn't been great, and the Wolves were a bottom 10 offense. 
And the turnover rate just matters so much more when it comes to the Wolves than it does for Denver. Um, and in this particular game, Denver turned it over 14 times. The Wolves only turned it over 11. The Wolves also made their open shots in this game. They were only 36% from three, but they were 51% from the field. They, um, you know, they were tough in the paint, which we don't always see from Minnesota. Uh, they had a very slight edge in points of the paint. They were a plus four in this January 2nd game. And they also were only a minus four on the glass. And for most Wolves games, being a minus four on the glass, you can live with because they had so many games where they really struggled. So if you can win the points in the paint battle, you can keep it close on the glass and avoid turning the ball over at an insane rate. That's a recipe to potentially beat Denver, to at least be in the game. And for the most part, the Wolves were competitive in those areas on Sunday. The problem is they just missed a bunch of open shots. And when the offense isn't running efficiently and you're not getting out in transition, remember the Wolves scored three fast break points on Sunday in game one. You're not going to win. You're not going to beat a well-coached, a well-oiled machine like the Denver Nuggets. Um, one other thing the Wolves did really well in this game, they got to the line 27 times. Um, I, I don't have any problem with how the game one was officiated. The Wolves only shot 16 free throws. Denver only shot 17. So I'm not making this comment about officiating. I'm making it about aggressiveness in the paint. We saw Ant only have a couple really aggressive drives on Sunday in game one. He has to, Chris Finch said this post game, he's got to turn more corners. He's got to be aggressive going to the basket um, to kind of set the tone. Foul trouble would be another really important reason to do that. Obviously, Jokic ended up fouling out in just, what, 28 minutes or something on, on Sunday. But to get the Nuggets in foul trouble, to get to the line themselves, the Wolves are in the bonus with eight plus minutes left in the second quarter on Sunday. They only attempted four free throws the rest of the way. So, Free throw attempts is something they did really well in this win way back on January 1st that they did not do well on Tuesday. So I guess the cliff notes for what you can take from that game is the Wolves beat a, a full-strength Denver team by not turning the ball over, forcing some turnovers for Denver, getting to the line 27 times, making open shots, being competitive in the paint. That's a lot of things, and they're all things that you list on a whiteboard if you're listing out like what do we, you know, what's the game plan for today. Obviously, you want to do all of those things. But the Wolves don't, they're not so overmatched that they have to like kill any one category. They just need to be competitive on the glass, be competitive in the paint, get to the rim, and therefore get to the free throw line. Don't have the silly turnovers. That's really all it is. And I know that that's so much easier said than done, but we're not asking the Wolves to get lucky from outside the arc and shoot 50% from three like they did, you know, a couple games ago in that crazy offensive performance. We're not asking Minnesota to like, um, you know, I don't know, not asking them to have a huge edge on the glass or get a bunch of second chance opportunities or whatever that might be. The game that they beat Denver in, they gave up 18 offensive rebounds, which obviously shouldn't happen. They gave up 18 offensive rebounds, 12 of them to Aaron Gordon. And the Wolves still were only a minus four on the glass because they shot the ball better than Denver. And they won that game by 13. So be competitive in some of these areas. You can afford to give one, you know, to, to, to lose one like that. Just be competitive in, in all these areas. Stay on the floor. Take good shots. Make your open shots. And this can be a series. All right. I want to close by looking at my biggest, I'll call it my biggest offensive concern. Oh, let's do that. Offensive concern. I'll save a couple of adjustments for Wednesday's show. And that's what we'll do here uh, to close out today. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at Prize Picks. 
on Wednesday against the Nuggets. I said this the other day. I would take Rudy Gobert over in rebounds. I think he's due to have a big rebounding game. I think the extra day off will help with his back issues. Um, so that's what I would do at Prize Picks. If you're wondering how it works, it's really easy to use. You just pick two to six players, and if they'll score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. You're not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes, of course, the NBA, also NHL playoffs, an exciting wild game on Monday night. If uh, if you're a hockey fan, wild one in double overtime, like a four hour game or something crazy against Dallas. Um, college sports, really any college sport, you can make your entry in less than sixty seconds. It really is that easy. Download the Prize Picks app or go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a one hundred percent instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit one hundred dollars, Prize Picks will give you one hundred dollars. If you deposit fifty dollars. They'll give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, let's talk about my biggest offensive concern for the Timberwolves. And it, it's a little weird because it's something that I spent the fall trying to convince myself, and uh, I guess by extension, uh, you as the listening audience, that it wouldn't be an issue. At times this year, maybe wasn't an issue. But here we are, and that's spacing, and specifically spacing with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor together, and add into that the layer of now it's the playoffs, and everything changes in the playoffs. Remember when Ricky Rubio was on the Timberwolves, both times he was on the Timberwolves, everyone talked about like, hey, this is great, but at the end of close games, and or if you get to the playoffs, which the Wolves never did with Ricky Rubio, um, it's an issue. You can't have somebody like that who teams don't have to guard because the game slows down. Teams, you know, scout you even even more closely. They can make adjustments from game to game. You can't get away with some of the same stuff in the playoffs that you do in the regular season. And we saw this. Well, last year was is was a glaring example of how Dallas chose to to guard Utah and Rudy Gobert or not guard him. Um, and how teams tried to take advantage of him on the defensive end of the floor. And and it, what I would still argue is that wasn't necessarily teams taking advantage of Rudy Gobert. It was teams taking advantage of, insert Utah Jazz perimeter player from the last couple of years here. Um, but in terms of the Wolves' offense, the argument I made in the fall, which I, th- I think there's still some validity here, is, hey, the Wolves' offense was really good last year with Jared Vanderbilt essentially playing center offensively, right? Carl Anthony Towns was the center, but he was, you know, he when the Wolves would play four out, run actions with Towns out on the perimeter or out outside the paint, basically when you weren't running through Towns in the post, Vanderbilt is in the dunker spot, occasionally setting screens. He's your five, essentially offensively. So my take was plug Rudy Gobert into that spot. Gobert's still a better offensive player than Jared Vanderbilt. He has maybe marginally, but better hands than Jared Vanderbilt. He's got a bigger, you know, wingspan. He's got, uh, he's a better screen setter. He's a bigger body, a better off. Well, I guess pound for pound, you could argue that they're similar offensive rebounders. Um, the theory was you're not going to be worse if you're plugging Gobert into the Vanderbilt role. I wasn't right. If you look at where the Wolves offense ended the season. Now, to be very clear, we missed 52 Carl Anthony Towns games in the middle of the season, right? And a total of what did he miss? 53, 54 games total this year. So that matters. I mean, like you get basically a full season of Towns and you're a top 10-ish, 10-12 offense and you get like a third of season of Towns and you become a bottom five, bottom 10 offense. That makes sense. I mean, like it could be explained away that easily. 
But the Wolves have not been gangbusters offensively when Towns has been on the floor, at least not when he's been on the floor with Rudy Gobert. And, you know, we could dig into the numbers more specifically, and and I, I don't necessarily want to do that on, like, just from game one. Um, but the Wolves' offense in general, with Towns on the floor and not Gobert, is so much better. And defensively, they're better with Gobert on the floor and not Towns. And it's exactly what detractors of the trade would have said about the fit or did say about the fit back when it happened last summer. And, uh, you know, we started to evaluate the potential fit. We saw this, a, a microcosm of this, in game one. The Wolves were so much better offensively when they had only one of those guys on the floor instead of two. And part of that is because when you have Gobert on the floor, he's such a good screener that you're tempted to use him in screen and roll actions. And it generally works really well when Mike Conley's the ball handler. But we have not seen an Anthony Edwards-Rudy Gobert ball screen chemistry ever form this season. It's just been miserable watching the two of them try and navigate pick and rolls. And part of that is is because I, I guess I can't really put my finger on why. There just isn't a level of comfort between Ant and Rudy Gobert. And even though those guys played a bunch together this year, it never really developed. So a Conley-Gobert screen and roll is a far, like, that can work, right? Conley lobs to Gobert, Conley floaters. We saw this a lot right after the trade, and I talked about it quite a bit, was that chemistry really matters. I mean, the the, the number of lobs per game that Conley was throwing to Gobert, he threw him several, it was like 50 or 60 lobs he threw him last season that were successfully converted. And because his floater is so good, he could do it with both hands. Like, that works. So Conley Gobert screen and roll, put Cat in the corner. He plays the, if you want to call it the Bogdanovich role from the last couple of years for Utah, he's a more dynamic Bogdanovich in this situation. That's great. I think the Wolves need to do even more of that. The problem is that they try and get cute and do more things with Towns, with Gobert on the floor than they should, and then the spacing gets messed up. Um, Or, you know, Gobert is kind of lingering in the dunker spot. You run a Towns pick and roll, and now you've got Towns and Gobert kind of muddled together down low. And and like who's spacing at this point? Well, Kyle Anderson, fine. He shot 40% from three, but teams still aren't really ex- or respecting, I should say, uh, Anderson to kill them from deep, even from the corners. So it's the spacing isn't quite there. Not having Jade McDaniels hurts because he's more dynamic than Anderson. He's more dynamic, frankly, at this point than Torian Prince. Um He's more dynamic than Jordan McLaughlin. He's more dynamic than whoever else you want to insert here. But not having Jaden McDaniels hurts too. In my mind, and this this is completely oversimplifying it, but I also don't think it's it's rocket science either. Gobert Conley pick and rolls, yes. Play Ant off the ball um, a little bit. Like your second action can be an Ant. You kick out to Ant, pump fake and drive, shoot the three. Um, or maybe your secondary action is an ant cat pick and roll out of the Conley Gobert. Like there's other things you can do, but I would scrap Gobert ant pick and rolls, uh, at least for now. It's just, it's just not working. Ant's not quite right. Rudy's not quite right. It just isn't working. When Gobert's off the floor, run everything through towns, do everything through towns. When Gobert is on the floor, when he's on the floor, run everything through Conley and Gobert. And I know your two best offensive players are, are Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, but you're spacing the floor with those guys, and your second action is to Towns or to Ant. That's the only way at this moment that I feel confident that this offense can function the way that it needs to. And obviously, you got to do more in transition. When Towns is on the floor, you're running the show through him. You can run stuff for Ant that doesn't involve Conley and Gobert. Like, just put him in isolations, run dribble handoffs with, and I know a dribble handoff effectively turns into a pick and roll, but Ant, to me, is still so much more dynamic coming out of dribble handoffs than he is pick and rolls, and they, the Wolves have kind of shrunk the number of handoffs that they're doing, that they're, um, 
running with Ant. Or the other thing you could do is run an Ant-Cat pick and roll, run an Ant-Cat dribble handoff, and just keep Gobert in the dunker spot. The spacing isn't perfect, but, um, and I guess that's part of the, one of the things Ant has talked about. He talked about it earlier this season is if he comes off of a handoff, Gobert is diving to the rim and, and Towns is kind of lingering. Um, the advantage there, of course, is, or excuse me, if Towns is diving to the rim and Gobert's already lingering in the dunker spot, now your spacing's messed up and Ant has the defense collapsing on him and your only three-point shooters on the perimeter now were Conley and and Anderson. You know, Conley's a great catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and that that's not a bad situation, but you've still got Ant, Cat, and Gobert all probably right around the paint at this point. So that gets a little bit tricky. Um, and, and that's the problem the Wolves are dealing with is how do we space this properly, still give Cat the right number of touches, not... Not to keep him happy, but because he's your best offensive player, all things considered. And how do we get Ant going consistently? Uh, you know, that's the riddle that Finch is trying to solve. And I think they just need to go back to basics, run a bunch of Conley Gobert stuff when Rudy's on the floor. You know, hopefully your defense is strong enough to keep this game close to give the you know build a little bit of a lead. When Gobert takes a rest, run everything through Towns. Ant can find his shots. He can find them in transition. He can find them on kickouts. He's going to get shots up in this game. You got to run more stuff through Conley and Gobert when they're on the floor together. Through Towns when Gobert's off the floor, um, and that to me is the ticket to to be competitive here. All right, I want to talk a little bit about some more potential adjustments um, on on Wednesday show as we preview that the Wednesday game specifically. So we'll do all that on Wednesday, um, and you know, excited to kind of to dig a bit more into this matchup and what we can look out for. Also, some additional concerns that I have in general about the matchup, not as in the weeds specifically as the offensive spacing I just talked about, but we'll do that Wednesday too and get you ready for Wednesday night's game. And of course, also we'll do the live postcast following Wednesday games, uh, Wednesday's game. That game's at nine. So the postcast will be just a little after midnight. Uh, myself and Marnie Yelder from Valley Sports North. So be sure to subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota to be notified when we go live after the game on Wednesday. A big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and also my account, which is at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.